If you think you know about mental illness, think again. This is We Are Hope, the radio program with host and co-founder Sean Perry. Mental illness has reached an all-time high in this country and beyond. We're here to break the stigma through change, discussion, and support. Now, here is your host, Sean Perry. Hello and welcome to We Are Hope, Breaking the Stigma Through Change with me, your host, Sean Perry. I'm coming to you live on the Voice America Radio Empowerment Network. We Are Hope is a nonprofit organization that brings anxiety education, coaching, trauma-informed interactive services, suicide prevention, collaborative problem solving, and emotional CPR to individuals and schools that are struggling to find affordable support options. We partner with school districts anywhere in the country to support students that are currently struggling. We support them in a way that that has never been done before. For in a school setting. We bring services directly to the child on a one-on-one setting five days a week. This allows for a level of consistency that is unmatched in any public school system. If you know of a school or a child that can utilize our services, please send me an email directly at radio at wearehope.org. Again, that's radio at wearehope.org. You can also contact me via phone at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at We Are Hope Inc. If you would like to book me to come speak at a school at a school function or community event on how to best support anxiety that children are currently struggling with, please email me directly at radio at We Are Hope. Again, that's radio at wearehope.org. On today's show, I have the privilege of speaking with my friend, Chief Justice John Broderick. John and I met over a year ago or so. And I've really connected on this mission of change around how we as a society are supporting mental illness and health. John, welcome to the show. John, great to be with you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, really busy schedule to, 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 to uh, come on and do this. Your story is so powerful one that has led you to your current um, and amazing work with youth. But before you became who you are now, you were actually someone else. Can you tell people about who you are, the work that you done had done in the Supreme Court, and the reform and the justice system work that you've done as well? Sure. I'd be delighted to, Sean. Uh, I, I was a trial lawyer for 22 years, and I love that. And I had an opportunity. The governor asked me to go on our Supreme Court here in New Hampshire. And I never aspired to be a judge. I wasn't sure why people chose that life. But it seemed like an unusual opportunity. And so I accepted it, not knowing whether it was the right choice. Right. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. And I became Chief Justice of the New Hampshire Supreme Court after seven years. And I served in that role for seven years. And uh, in our state... Uh, it's a lifetime appointment, if you choose to stay. Right. Um, and in that role as Chief Justice, I not only sat on appellate cases, but I was responsible for the administration of the court system up here, which was a phenomenal honor and a tremendous amount of work. Uh, and I loved it. And in that role was probably the first time that I started to see mental health issues. Uh, in the courtrooms and the trial courtrooms and the appellate cases and the criminal cases. And it seemed to be more dominant in many cases. And I realized uh, I would see it sometimes in abuse and neglect cases right. uh, that came before the court, uh, domestic violence cases. It, it just seemed to be lurking. And I am a baby boomer. And mm-hmm. in the world I grew up in, I knew very little about mental illness and 
I'm sure it was all around me. I just didn't see it. Right. But when I went on the court, I started to appreciate that it was in more places than I thought, but it wasn't as widespread in my mind uh, as it is now. Right. Well, there's a there's a statistic, and I'm not sure the actual state statistic, but I know the national st- statistic that I that I've heard is eighty was it over eighty percent of uh, incar- uh, individuals that are incarcerated have an undiagnosed mental illness. Yes, undiagnosed and often untreated. Yeah. Uh, in in New Hampshire, according to the Commissioner of Corrections, the last commissioner, he said a couple of years ago that sixty five percent of the men at the men's prison in Concord, there are about two thousand inmates there, 65% had undiagnosed, untreated mental illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's eye-opening. We, we yeah. incarcerate a lot of mental illness in the United States, and we have done that historically. And I'm not saying that we don't need to on occasion, but right. if we were smarter about it and thinking more about it and learning more about it, we would find mental illness sooner, we would treat it sooner, treatment can be successful in many, many cases. And so we're spending money on the back end, which is not as productive as being proactive. So just those statistics that you mentioned seem to me a catalyst for people to say, could we do something a little better than that? Right. You know, and that's, that's, it's interesting that you say that because when we created We Are Hope, one of the first things uh, that we said when we had written to uh, the state of New Hampshire we were trying to get this organization up and going, and we said that mental illness has a direct correlation with the opioid crisis in this state. And we know there's a huge, uh, a huge crisis in this state. And we said that, you know, our program is is nothing shy of preventative work. It is preventative. It is prevention. And if we could meet these kids at a much younger age, giving them the emotional uh, support and tools that they need, we would actually, right, if, if if the state would spend the money up front, we would actually reduce the amount of people that are in our prisons in this state. There is no doubt in my mind, John, that you're right about that. Uh, but in order for that to happen, uh, I think all of us need to start to learn about mental illness, maybe put our prejudgments to one side, and realize what I've come to realize that it affects so many families and so right. many people. And most of the people with a mental health problem are never going to end up in jail. But right. a lot of the people who end up in jail have a mental health problem. Uh, right. The vast majority of people with those illnesses will or are now uh, engaged in employment or schooling or raising families, uh, but they're suffering. Yeah. And there's so much shame and stigma remaining with mental illness, that a lot of people don't know how to deal with it, don't know who to talk to, or afraid to lose their job or lose their friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes uh, those people take a wrong path. Uh, the Attorney General of our state, Attorney General McDonald, who I admire, uh, had told me recently, he said, John, I see mental illness 24-7 in my job as Attorney General. I see right. it in domestic violence. I see it in drug overdoses. Uh, I see it in abuse and abuse of children. I see it in crime generally. Uh, and often there's a correlation between mental illness and substance misuse. Uh, it's not right. always one for one, but it, it's not so rare that we shouldn't be concerned about it. So we all tend to see things in a way that's one-dimensional. So right. you are someone who's committed domestic violence, or you're someone who is a drug addict, or you're someone who has abused and neglected your children. 
that may be true, but that may not be the explanation for it. Right. And so if we all look behind it and said, I wonder what's going on behind the curtain there. Why did that mm-hmm. happen? Uh, yeah. A lot of bullying in school. Uh, a lot of those kids who are doing the bullying, uh, they're dealing with issues too. And right. they're not just bad people. And so I think, it's, I think it's really important that we all be more attentive and learn more, as I've been trying to do, especially in the last three or four years. And this, you know, this is the, you know, what you just said there is, is, is our, is kind of our motto at We Are Hope. You know, we say we stop looking at behavior and start looking at what's behind the behavior. And I, and, and I think you made such a great point there. I want to talk about now, um, so after your work in, in um, as a judge, uh, you had a, a shift in your life. Um, some things in your uh, personal life began to change. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it did, actually, Sean. I, I have two sons, uh, but at the time, my oldest son, who was then 13, was experiencing the onset of mental illness as a baby boomer. I didn't know what that was and didn't see it for what it was. Uh, he was a pretty talented artist, and he spent more and more time in his room with the door closed drawing. And uh, today I would describe it as withdrawing, but I didn't mm. see that then. People said, right. oh, you know, artists, they march to the beat of a different drummer. That made sense. And uh, they may, but that wasn't his issue. Uh, and it got worse over time, but not in a way that identified it, as hard as that may be to believe. Right. When we first started to notice something that was concerning, it was when he got to college, and he was drinking, and then drinking more than I think most kids in college would be drinking. It was alarming to watch it. Right. And, uh, but he's very smart, very smart. He got through college. I don't know how he did it, knowing what I know now about his mental illness. He got a master's degree, and he got a job pretty quickly, and then he had trouble holding the job. Uh, and then his life basically came to rest. And my wife and I saw alcohol, like we were saying, and so alcohol must have been his problem. It was right. really a symptom of his problem. Right. And so we talked to the alcohol people, Sean, they said he's an alcoholic. They told us we had to take certain steps, which we didn't want to take, one of which was to put him out, literally out of our house. Right. And that was the only way it seemed that his life could have a chance of being turned around. And so, well-intentioned as we were about harming him, we put him out. And right. uh, he was out living on the street. I was on the Supreme Court at the time. And so, after about three weeks of that agony, we brought him home, knowing that maybe this was not going to work, but mm-hmm. we couldn't let him be out there. We were worried for his health and the health and safety of others. And when he came home, it was clear to us his drinking was as bad as it had been. Uh, his underlying mental health problems, which we didn't see for what they were, and which he couldn't really verbalize, right, just right. exploded. And he was fearful I'd put him out again. I'm sure he was, and he knew he couldn't go back out on the street. Looking back, I think, how traumatic was that for him? And right. he assaulted me. He assaulted me. I, I was in the ICU here in New Hampshire at a Manchester hospital for six or eight days. My master's educated, funny, smart, talented son was arraigned in a public courtroom and sent to the jail. And finally, I learned when I was in the hospital what had happened, and my wife, I don't know how she survived it. I don't know how she did that. Uh, But eventually, 
he was sentenced to the state prison, and uh, he went to the state prison for three years. And, All right, let's uh, let's hold let's hold up right there, John. I want we got a commercial sure. break. I want to come back and 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 finish that thought and and that and that story. Um, it's now currently time for a break. If you or someone you know is struggling, remember there is hope. Anytime, anywhere through We Are Hope's telecoaching platform. Please feel free to give me a call today at eight zero two four four zero one four two eight. Again, that's eight zero two four four zero one four two eight. You can also send me an email directly at radio at wearehope dot org. When we return, we will finish this conversation with Chief Justice Broderick. We will also talk about the lies that we tell ourselves as parents and caregivers and the denial and what they can do. And don't forget to check us out at www.wearehope.org. Again, that's www.wearehope.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at We Are Hope Inc. We'll be back in a minute. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Redson. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to We Are Hope. If you're interested in asking a question or offering a comment about our program, please send an email to radio at wearehope.org. That's radio at wearehope.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. You are listening to We Are Hope, Breaking the Stigma Through Change with me, your host, Sean Perry. I'm coming to you live on the Voice America Radio Empowerment Network. If you would like to contact me directly, you can email me at radio at wearehope.org. Again, that's radio at wearehope.org. You can also call me directly at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at We Are Hope, Inc. Welcome back, uh, Chief Justice Broderick. Thank you for being here with me. Delighted to be here, Sean. 
So when we left off, we were talking about the the, the tragic event that had happened uh, in your life. You saw the impact of mental illness up close. Uh, let's go ahead and finish uh, finish that story. Sure. Well, my son went to the state prison, uh, and I know the listeners don't know my son, but he's a good person. He's smart and funny and talented, but he was suffering and and self-medicating, as it turned out. And when he was at the prison, we were allowed to go up after 30 days and meet with the head psychiatrist and others. My son was there. And he shared with us that my son had really serious depression and anxiety and panic attacks that he described as virtually off the charts. Mm-hmm. And he said he was drinking uh, to try to help that pain. He said it wasn't a good choice. He said, don't get me wrong, but it was a logical choice. Right, gave him right. some relief, even though ultimately that practice made his depression worse. And so it was a black hole in getting deeper. And when he told us that that day, I said to myself, maybe he never was an alcoholic. He used to tell right. us he wasn't. He used to say, Dad, if I didn't have these feelings, I wouldn't be drinking. Alcohol mm. people would say, Judge, every alcoholic has a reason they drink. He's an right. alcoholic. I'm not sure he was at all ever an alcoholic, and they said, we're going to try to work with him, and I was not hopeful. I thought mental illness was hopeless. I now Mm. know it's far from hopeless. I know that now. And they worked with my son, counseling and medication, and uh, he couldn't drink, obviously, where he was. And after about four months, we visited twice a week. He came out and gave us a big hug and and said to us, uh, I feel so different. I said, what do you mean? He said, Dad. I'm sleeping through the night. I haven't done that for years. My palms aren't sweating all day long. I can focus. My mind isn't racing. I, I'm teaching at the prison. And when he told us that, and when the psychiatrist had given us that diagnosis, I knew that I had failed him. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I was, after all, a parent. I should right. have known something about mental illness. I didn't. I didn't. There's no one ever talked about it. I knew nothing about it. I knew what it looked like at the extremes. But I didn't know what it looked like between the chalk marks. And so when we found out about it, my son had stepped outside the chalk mark, obviously. But they said, we're going to work with him, and they did. And he was a different person. He was paroled after three years and did not have a drink and has not had a drink of alcohol in 15 years. Wow. So that's that's, that's 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 amazing. That, that's absolutely amazing. And that's a great segue to my question of what didn't you know? You know what I mean? Because, you know, I, I'm a parent. I'm a parent of five. And, you know, um, I also grew up in a little bit of a, di- a different generation. And I work, in, you know, I work uh, in the mental health field and the mental illness field. So there's, there's things that I do know. But as parents, we often have blinders on because there are children. We do, Sean, and in the world I'm from, everything had a common sense, harmless explanation. Mm. So my son being in his room all those hours, which today I would think was unusual, back then I thought, well, he's really talented, he loves art, no harm in doing art, Uh, he's not doing anything bad, and so good for him. Uh, He started smoking in high school, I didn't know that, he kept that well hidden. He had friends, but not nearly as many as his younger brother, who was two years younger. Uh, he would go out with his friends, but not that often. They usually ended up coming to visit him. He'd be doing his art. Um, 
he didn't do as well in school as he could have. I thought he was much smarter than his grades. And he just seemed to be more withdrawn uh, and more shy than I thought he should be. But, you know, you thought, well, he's a teenager and he'll grow out of this. Right. Uh, and time will heal all of this. And then he went away, and, of course, time didn't heal it. And then he started meditating. Right. He was suffering. And so oftentimes, as you know, the person who's afflicted is sometimes the last person to know they have a mental health problem. And mm. it makes sense. So how would you know that? It's just how you work, right. how you respond to other people. And adults who haven't learned much about mental illness, unless they needed to, uh, tend to look at behavior and see behavior, but not underlying causes. Right. So if someone has discipline problems, maybe they're just an unruly kid, maybe they're a bad kid. Well, they may not be. They may be troubled, and the yeah. trouble may be mental illness, as you know. So right. I just didn't see the signs. When my son was in college, you know, he started to look a little more disheveled and uh, even more so than his classmates. So I just attributed that to being away from home, that he had freedom for the first time, and that's how he was expressing it. And that right. really wasn't why. It wasn't why at all. Uh, nice. But I didn't see it for what it was or didn't even think, well, if it's not that, I wonder if it could be something else. I just didn't have any lexicon. I didn't know what else to consider. And uh, so there's, I do there's, now. So there's so many other parents, John, that are that are that are struggling right now with a child at home or several children at home that, that are and their children are struggling what do you think that parents and caregivers that are in denial can do right now? Well, I'll tell you something. I, I've been involved in this REACT campaign because uh, I'm at Dartmouth Hitchcock, and there have been huge supporters of this. And the REACT campaign is a component of a campaign, which I shorthand as the five signs, the change direction campaign. So what parents can do, I think, is what I've now done. I wish I'd done it years earlier. I've learned the five basic signs of a mental health issue. Mm. And because of the REACT campaign, which really was DH psychiatry, uh, how should I respond? How should people respond? So uh, some of what parents are going to see is ordinary adolescent behavior. That's okay. But we need to understand something about mental health problems because maybe it's not normal adolescent behavior, particularly if it persists. So uh, I can give you the five basic signs that I've learned and that I I spread the word on, if you'd like. Absolutely. The the first sign is uh, someone's not feeling like themselves. And I don't mean they're having a bad day or even a bad week. We all have those. But not feeling like yourself for an extended period of time. You know you're off. You know it's different. Or you see someone who's just different. They're not who they used to be. Right. Uh, or if someone is feeling agitated, not cranky for a day or upset about something, but persistently agitated where they hadn't been. That hadn't right. been who they were. Uh, the third sign is, are you withdrawn? My son was. I didn't see it for that. And maybe he could have just been shy or been an artist and wanted to withdraw it a little bit to, to do his creative work. But that wasn't why he was withdrawing in his case. But I wasn't considering that. So he was withdrawing. Right. The fourth sign is caring for yourself. 
uh, are you not taking care of your hygiene? So if somebody you know or love uh, has has changed in that way, the, you know, they look a little dirty, their clothes aren't pressed or ironed, or their hair is dirty, or their mustache looks like they haven't shaved in a year, uh, maybe that's a sign of something. In my son's case, in college, I saw it, but I didn't consider it to be anything other than he's trying to express his, his newfound freedom. Right. And, and the fifth sign is feeling of hopelessness. Mm. Uh, everyone gets discouraged. That's normal. Uh, and from time to time, people might think something is hopeless. We all have those down days. But right. feeling hopeless for extended periods of time, feeling like there is no way out, that everything seems like it's going to end in a negative for you. And uh, my son said when he saw these five signs on this card, uh, Dad, if I'd seen that when I was 15, I would have realized I didn't do that card just for me. Right. If I could relate to this, maybe other people could too, and maybe I had a health problem. Maybe it wasn't just me. Right, And right. so he has told me himself that he would have benefited. So I think it's important that parents know the basic signs. Mm-hmm. Those signs, by the way, Sean, are not diagnostic of a specific mental health problem, but it's pretty hard to have some of those signs without having some mental health issue. And then, right. you know, how to, how to respond to it, which is the REACT campaign that Darby Sitchcock assembled, which is what do we do when we see the signs of emotional suffering? In my generation, baby boomers, I usually didn't see it. But if I did, I never would have approached it. I wouldn't have asked somebody how they were doing. I wouldn't have said, you should be getting help, fearful that I would offend them. Uh, right. I wouldn't have told anybody about it because I didn't want to embarrass or, quote, unquote, get people in trouble. Mm-hmm. It's a health issue, it's not, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and to follow up and follow through with people you love or know who you think are showing those signs. We, we just need to engage it. Uh, right. The lay people, like myself, we need to engage it, but we need to learn what it is, what it looks like, and appreciate what you obviously appreciate because you do it every day. Uh, if you help people, help is possible, right. and it's often very successful. You know, it's it's interesting, you know, uh, in, in today's society, we have uh, parents that are uh, over overly extended, super busy, don't have time uh, for for the children a lot of times. And so what I'm hearing from you and what I know as well is that parents as a whole, in order to help this crisis, need to be more vigilant, need to go back to the old days of when parents were engaged in their children's lives and help support their kids when they're actually going through things and not be fearful to have those conversations with their children. Because that's one of the biggest things is, is that there, there is this stigma around, you know, asking your child if they're okay. And if they're going to say yes, you don't want to challenge it anymore, knowing deep down in, in, in your heart and in the pit of your stomach that there's something wrong with them. I couldn't agree more, Sean. And a lot of parents, you know, and they they may be loving and well-intentioned, and I'm sure they are, Mm -hmm. but denial is a hard thing. Oh, it sure is. If they see a problem, they don't want to have their son or daughter, you know, identified as having a mental health problem. We we so stigmatize it, they don't want that to happen to their child. On the other hand, not identifying it, not dealing with it, it's not going to get better on its own. And so if we could treat it like a health issue, without mm-hmm. judgment or stigma, like we treat virtually every physical illness in America, we would start to be proactively smart. 
would identify kids, would get them help, and would put their life on a better track. But when I go around, I've been now to oh, 200 schools, and I've spoken to tens of thousands of kids from the sixth grade through high school. And if the parents were with me on those mornings when I finished speaking, and these kids, some as young as the sixth grade, John, come up to me with wet eyes and cracking voices, sometimes they thank me for coming and talking about this, this meaning mental health. Uh, or they share their own stories, or they tell me their parents are ashamed, or that they could never tell their parents about their mental health problems. Oftentimes I hear that their father, it's usually their father, by the way, who will say, I don't believe in mental illness, just get over it. Right. Right. Let me hold you right there. Let me hold you right there, John. We got to we got to take a uh, commercial break. I want to come back and definitely talk about that because I also want to talk to you um, because I think of what you're doing uh, directly correlates with emotional CPR. And I want to talk with you about that. So if you or someone, you know, is currently struggling, remember, there is hope anytime, anywhere on a telecoaching platform. Please feel free to give me a call at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. You can also send me an email directly at radio at wearehope.org. When we return, we're going to talk to Chief Justice John Broderick about his new mission and the systems that are being put in place. Don't forget, you can check us out at www.wearehope.org. Again, that's www.wearehope.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at We Are Hope Inc. If you would like to follow Chief Justice Broderick, you can follow him on Twitter at John Broderick Jr. Again, that's at John Broderick Jr. on Twitter. We'll be back in a minute. up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to Lead Up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your host, Colleen Biggs, speaks with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to We Are Hope. If you are interested in asking a question or offering a comment about our program, please send an email to 
radio at wearehope.org. That's radio at wearehope.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hello and welcome back. You are listening to We Are Hope, Breaking the Stigma Through Change with me, your host, Sean Perry. I'm coming to you live on the Voice America Radio Empowerment Network. If you would like to contact me directly, you can email me at radio at wearehope.org. Again, that's radio at wearehope.org. You can also call me directly at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at We Are Hope Bank. We are back with uh, Chief Justice John Broderick. Uh, welcome back. So we are, uh, I want to go ahead and talk about um, your new mission, Campaign to Change Directions. Um, you are traveling all over the state of New Hampshire, uh, Maine, um, some some parts of Vermont. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, about this new mission? So I've been 38 months. Uh, I've been doing just what you said. I uh, started in New Hampshire, I've expanded to Vermont and now southern Maine and northern Massachusetts. Uh, for the last 25 months or so, I've worked at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. Uh, they have made my work possible. Uh, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without them. I've driven over 75,000 miles. I've spoken to close to 100,000 people. I've spoken over 430 times. Uh, and it is, uh, Sean, the most rewarding work I've mm. done in my entire professional life uh, because I see what I never saw. I realize that help is possible and that if we don't change and start to deal with it, we're going to lose a generation of kids. Oh, I couldn't agree more. To lose. I we couldn't agree are. more. Yeah. And, and yep. so, you know, people like you doing what you're doing, uh, I, I can't express the value and power of that enough. Uh, every time I go to school, I talk to a counselor or I talk to a, a social worker or you know, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, uh, I realized there aren't enough of them. You know, Dartmouth Hitchcock, we had a youth summit here in mm-hmm. April, and we had 400-plus uh, kids representing 63 high schools, public schools in the wow. state. So they came in teams, and uh, they ran the agenda and made recommendations. And one of the recommendations these high school kids made was they wanted more counselors and mm-hmm. more specialized counselors in their high schools. Right. I can assure you, when I was in high school, that wouldn't have been our recommendation. We would have wanted more time off or more right. time at the beach. Right, uh, these right. Kids, these kids are under pressures that I don't recall, and they are amazing kids, this generation. I love them. And they are the least judgmental generation in the history of our country, and they will talk to you. They talk to me. Yeah. But they talk to me after I've said to them, it's okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. I won't judge you about that. I won't blame you for your suffering. And help is possible. That's all you need to say. And yeah. kids who you've never met and will never see again come up to you and they share stories or they hug you. Uh, I've never experienced anything like it. You can't do what I've been doing without being changed by it. And you're really at a very granular level, Sean. What you're doing in these schools, you see it every day. You right. follow these kids. And you're in a position I'm not in, which is you're able to actually help them. All I can do is ask them whether they're getting help, and if not, suggest they talk to someone, uh, either in the school or outside the school or to their parents, but what I see, I had never known. 
And mm. I see it now, and it's made me impatient about trying to make the system work for these kids. Right. And, of course, you know, mental illness, Sean, you and I are talking about young people. It's not limited to young people. No, not at all. Elderly people who are suffering. There are right. doctors and lawyers uh, who are suffering with mental health issues, and it's hard to talk about it. Uh, yeah. And I've seen what you do, and I know how good you are at what you do, and you're really invaluable. They need a Sean Perry in every high school in America. I mean that sincerely. Well, well, well thank you. I, I appreciate that. You'd be busy all day long. I see that now. I wouldn't have believed that three years ago. Right. Uh, and all you need to do, if you're me, is to listen to these kids to realize they are asking for help. So, John, I, th- I think that, you know, the the kids that we have are, they're just, they're a different breed of, of, of kiddos than, than we've ever seen before. They're vo- they're willing to be vulnerable. They're willing to have the conversation. And I think that it's important also to remember that, um, the work that you do is helping kids. It is supporting kids. Your conversations, and I've seen you, I've actually seen you speak, your ability to connect with them um, really opens the door for them for them being able to have a conversation with their administrators in the school, with their counselors in the school, and again, just be vulnerable because no one is having this conversation. I think well, it's so I, powerful, I, the work that you're doing. Well, I appreciate it, John. Uh, and it's changed me. I mean, what I've learned and seen, uh, I was in Vermont not long ago and at a high school, and a young man waited 75 minutes after I finished speaking uh, to talk to me. It turns out that he was thinking about killing himself and thinking about how to do it. Mm. And I just grabbed him by the elbows, you know, and I knew his name, and I said, that's not who you are, you know. That's what's bothering who you are, but that's not who you are. So right. you need to get help, and his problem really had its origin at home, so I couldn't say talk to your parents. And right. I said, would you talk to someone here in the counseling office? And he kind of was crying, and he said, okay. And I said, I used to be a judge, you know. You can't lie to the judge. He started laughing. <laughs> and he said, okay, I promise, because I mean it. And I said, now you're talking. And then he said, can I give you a hug? And That's he fantastic. And he was crying. And, uh, you know, I thought he waited 75 minutes. Thank God he didn't get discouraged and leave. Yeah. And yeah. it was a long ride home that day, but it was worth it, John. And I think that that's... And, that and, and I think that and that's I'm what sure speaks... I'm sure you see it in your, in your service in schools. You see these issues. And uh, we, lucky to have you there. Yeah, we, you know, we, we see these issues all the time in the, in the schools that we're, that we're in and that we've partnered with. Um, but one of the things that, that we've noticed is... When we lend an ear, right? When we illness is is becoming um, worse than it has ever been in this country, and so just being there as a presence, being a trusted adult, we've noticed that through that we have been able to change lives with kids all over that we've worked with. Well, I tell you, Sean, I don't know what your observation is, but mine has been this. This generation is different than mine in the sense that they have technology and a connectedness through technology that my generation did not have. Their lives are moving at a pace that mine did not. Uh, Young people often have structured lives that, in my view, are too structured. They have enormous pressures that I didn't feel to succeed in sports and school. Uh, It it is a lot pressing against these kids. 
And anyone who's been to a high school recently realizes they are lockdowns. So you have to right. close in. They often have a resource officer. I went to one high school. It was a police car 30 feet from the front door. It's parked there all day. When I was their age, I didn't worry about getting shot while I was in school. So these kids are dealing with structures and pressures and forces that none of us over the age of 40 had to deal with. And it's not surprising to me that there may be demonstrating problems in a number that my generation didn't. Not their fault. It's just a reaction. I think we need to deal with a lot of that. Right. All righty, John. So listen, it's time for another break. Uh, If you or someone you know is currently struggling, remember, there is hope anytime, anywhere through our telecoaching platform. Please feel free to give me a call at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. You can also send me an email directly at radio at weerhope.org. If you'd like to follow Chief Justice Broderick, you can follow him on Twitter at John Broderick Jr. Again, that's at John Broderick Jr. on Twitter. We'll be back in a minute. better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed if you are ready to be inspired energized and entertained you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at be the star you are radio.com live every wednesday at 4 p.m pacific time 7 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel listen for our lifestyle show star style be the star you are with our host cynthia bryan then on sundays at 3 p.m pacific 6 p.m eastern teens talk and the world listens on express yourself teen radio play with with us at be the star you are radio.com and the voice america empowerment channel listen for mindful matters love sex spirit hosted by dr dory lynn dr dory is coming back sexy savvy and with sage advice from nearly eight decades of life experience it's not retirement it's refirement it's fun it's deep listening just makes you feel good if you're looking for straight talk without all the bull in the world be sure to tune in to dr dory and mindful matters love sex spirit live every tuesday at 5 p.m eastern time 2 p.m pacific on the voice america empowerment channel make an appointment listening right now build your better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to We Are Hope. If you're interested in asking a question or offering a comment about our program, please send an email to radio at wearehope.org. That's radio at wearehope.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hello and welcome back. You are listening to We Are Hope. <coughs> Excuse me. You are listening to We Are Hope Breaking the Stigma Through Change with me, your host, Sean Perry. I'm coming to you live on the Voice America Radio Empowerment Network. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me directly at radio at wearehope.org. Again, that's radio at wearehope.org. You can also call me directly at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at We Are Hope Inc. If you would like to book me to come speak at a school function or community event, 
on how to best support anxiety that children are currently struggling with, please email me directly at radio at wearehope.org. Again, that's radio at wearehope.org. Chief Justice Broderick, um, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. So there is a crisis in this country, and, and you and I see this every day. What can the everyday person do to help themselves and those they love? I tell you what I, what I think when people ask me that. We have these rat cards, know the five signs. On one side, it's about eight inches by three and a half inches. On the back side, it's react. How do we react? We've given out over 400,000 of those cards. I don't mean drop them from an airplane. I mean handed them out. And uh, Dartmouth makes that possible. I underwrite it all. And so uh, I say to people, start locally. Start in your kitchen. Talk to your kids. Bring the cards to work. Put them on a classroom door. Uh, try to have community forums. Uh, try to talk about it at the PTA. Start raising right. the topic uh, and create stigma-free zones. So you can say you can say whatever you want here tonight. It stays here. Uh, I, I don't think there's world peace. I don't think people have to do world peace. They just need to start a conversation. Uh, I spoke at a hospital in New Hampshire to doctors and nurses, kind of a funny story, and so I didn't bring the rat cards with the five signs on the react part. So the next day, the doctor who invited me, he said, could you drop 100 of those off? I'd spoken to 100 doctors and nurses. And so Mm. I brought the rat cards the next day, and he sent me an email, and he said they were gone within 15 minutes. He said, doctors and nurses who were taking the cards. And he said, I took one home. He's about 40, I would say. He said, I have two kids, uh, 13 and 11, and I had never spoken to my own children about mental illness. I realized that, so I brought the card home, and after dinner, I thought, well, I'll raise it. So after dinner, he said, I took your rat card out from my pocket, and I held it up to my kids, and I said, I want to talk to you about the five signs of mental illness, and the 13-year-old said, has Judge Broderick been to the hospital now? He came to my school, (laughs) and they started laughing, Uh, but he said, I took the opportunity nonetheless to say to my own children, look, I want you to read this. I'm going to put it on the refrigerator. If you ever have these feelings, you need to talk to mom and dad about it. No shame involved. Nothing to be frightened about. Or if you have friends who you think might have these signs, you need to let us know no one's going to get in trouble. It's not that. It's a health issue, and it's usually very treatable. So he said, I never would have had that conversation. He said, I'm a physician. I wouldn't have right. it, but I'm so happy I had it. So that's what I'm talking about, John. And then they need to get more people just like you in the schools of this country who are available, who are trained, who can help these kids. They will talk to people like you. And you're skilled at what you do, and you can elevate it where it needs to be elevated. You can direct it where it needs to go, or you can solve it. But we need more people like you in public schools. We can't pretend that it's not real, because you know better than I do that it's very real. And parents Mm -hmm. need to embrace the fact that their child may not be perfect in every respect. It's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to pretend it's not happening. And if we started to do that and deal with it, I think the next and final step, which inspires me some days, I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime, we need to create a mental health system in the United States. We don't have it. Right. We have one for bad backs, bad knees, breast cancer, diabetes, and we should. <laughs> 
But we would know how to enter the pipeline if we knew someone with those problems or we had them. But if you have a loved one who has chronic or acute mental health episodes, good luck trying to find somebody. It's, it's really so true. hard. Schools so will make the outside referral, Sean. And, and the reason we allow that to exist is for generations we have pretended like it's a personal failing, it's a character flaw, it's a weakness. It is right. no more that than a broken ankle would be that, you know? And exactly. you know that, and I've learned that, and I'm impatient about change at this point, because we need to. Well, you and me both, I think, you know, the, the We Are Hope team uh, is, is extremely impatient about change, because we believe that change needs to happen now. We cannot continue... <clears throat> excuse me, down this road of uh, the, the inequality and the inability to want to support people because we're too stuck in our ways. You know, the, the, the hardest thing for us when we go into schools, John, and I got to tell you, and, and it, it breaks my heart, is we say, hey, listen, we have this service. We want to offer this service to the school, and we believe and we know we can show, come up with financial resources to support these kids in this school. Well, and there's funds. There that. are funds available. We, look, we can either spend money on the front end or spend more money on the back end. We spend a lot of money in America for failure or as a result right. of failure. And we can't do right. that. I, I just like to leave you with this image, John, uh, which I can't get out of my head. I spoke at a school in New Hampshire, to a well-respected school. There were 525 kids in the auditorium. And I spoke to them, and I finished. And the senior, uh, their classmate, Ask the 525 kids this question. If there's anyone in this auditorium today, these are high school kids, there's anyone in this auditorium today who has a mental health problem or someone you love has a mental health problem, those are the only two categories, would you please stand up? Now, it was early in my campaign. I didn't really know what to expect. Right. I would say of the 525 kids 500 of them stood up. Wow. It was yeah, that's powerful. amazing to me, and I thought, it's hiding in plain sight. <clears throat> it's yeah. hiding in plain sight. What are we doing about this? I spoke at one high school. I spoke to 1,200 kids in two assemblies. I said to the counselors afterwards, what percentage of those 1,200 kids have a diagnosable mental health mm-hmm. problem? I don't mean a bad Tuesday or they flunked the test. Right. Diagnosable. The senior member of the team had been there for decades. He said, I would say 25 to 30 percent. Do the math yeah. on 1,200. Yeah. I said to him, if that were on the front page of the newspaper in this community, would people here believe that? He said, oh, of course not. Yeah. So well, it's interesting. You see it. You see it. I'm late to the game. I see it now, Sean. We don't have a system. We don't have enough resources and we don't have enough people like you in public schools, and we need that. I know that now. I see it. Well, I completely agree. But, you know, you and I spoke back in May <clears throat> over the phone, and you said something that I thought was not only funny but so spot on. And you said, Sean, we have to learn how to walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right? We've got this. We've got. What needs to change is we need to be honest. Yeah. We need to be honest. And I now see what I didn't see, so I don't want to sound too righteous because I was part of the problem for decades. I know that now. And I accepted what everyone accepted. I wouldn't accept it now. And 
we need to deal with this. It's a high priority. And if we don't deal with it as you're dealing with it, we will pay for it on the back end. Well, I, you know, I, I appreciate that. I, you know, we do believe that we are doing amazing work and, and we know that um, our preventative, you know, the, the, the title of this show is Breaking the Stigma Through Change. And, and I just want to station that needs to be had. And it's a conversation that people are so scared to have, but you were going out and doing it. And I really appreciate all of the amazing work that you're doing. I really, really do. So thank you so much. Oh, Sean, happy to be with you. Keep up all your good work. It's really important. So as we close, I just want to thank Chief Justice Broderick for joining me today. Thank you for all the work you're doing and all the lives that you're changing for the children and families that have lost hope. Um, as you know, that said, you know, we are hope is here to help you in your mission as well. So anything that I can do personally or that we can do um, as an organization to help uh, to help your organization, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, if you or someone you know would like to follow Chief Justice Broderick, you can follow him on Twitter at, at John Broderick Jr. You can also follow him at Dartmouth Hitch. Um, as we come to a close, I'd like to, I'd like you all to remember someone that you know or someone that you love or maybe even yourself is struggling in silence right now. Today is the day you no longer have to. Today is the day you can reach out for support. Today, you no longer have to be alone. Today is the day you can reclaim your voice and break the chain of silence and get the support that's needed. Like always, We Are Hope is here to help. We believe in your strength even when you do not. Please give us a call at 802-440-1428. Again, that's 802-440-1428. You can also contact me directly via email at radio at wearehope.org. Again, that's radio at wearehope.org. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at We Are Hope Inc. Until next time, remember, it's okay to not be okay. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the We Are Hope radio show. Please join host Sean Perry again for another edition next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope to have you join us again next week. Do you know what it's like? Staying up all night. Nightmares at night. Goddamn, I try.